Well, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start with a little test, because it's been about uh, three weeks since we were here. Um, what I want to start with, uh, as, and I'm not going to belabor the past too much, but the first, first three chapters of Ephesians taught on what he's done for us. And then chapter 4, 5, and 6 shifts into what our response should be to him. There's a division in the book right here, the book of Ephesians. Also important to know that this epistle was not just sent to the Ephesian church. Paul intended for it to be sent to a lot of different churches because the Ephesian church was like the most established church in the region. This was also a time of great uh, heresy popped up, different people. Whenever there's a move of God, uh, the enemy tries to steal that move immediately and confound God's people. And Paul's going to speak to that very strongly down here in the book of Ephesians uh, about rooted and being rooted and grounded so that we don't uh, listen to every, every wind that comes down the pipe. So does anybody remember the seven points of unity that we as Christians can uh, all agree on? Now, in, in the churches and in our personal lives, Sometimes we just don't always agree with what the scriptures say. That's okay. That's okay that we don't agree. If there's a point of disagreement, we ask the Holy Spirit to come in and reveal what He is saying to us, okay? Um, but there are certain truths at the beginning of chapter 4 that Paul writes here that we can all agree on no matter what faith, no matter what we're doing. And these are foundational truths of our response to Him. And the first one, uh, we'll start off reading in uh, verse 4. Uh, well, I better go back. And uh, make every effort, verse 3. It says, make every effort, and I'm reading out of the New Living. Some of you got the King James. If you don't uh, understand the New Living, then somebody can read it in the King James, okay? It says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, Okay? For there is, number one, there's one body. One body. There's a whole lot of different churches, but there's only one body of Christ. That's right. What is required to be in the body of Christ? The completed work of Christ. Can you buy your way in? No. Can you uh, smart your way in? No. Thank God, because I wouldn't make it. Uh, but there's one body. We can all agree on that, right? We can have fellowship with our brothers and sisters. And unless it's cultish and devilish, we can also have, uh, try to understand those that might not agree to us to a great extent because there's still only one body and that's the body of Christ which is going to be taken away. Then it says, and there's one spirit. There's one spirit alive in the earth today and that's the spirit of the living God which he promised us as he ascended to heaven, he said, I'll send the comforter unto you. There's one spirit in the earth today. How many of you know the, well, y'all do, y'all know by now, but there's a great difference between the things of God and the things of the enemy. And who teaches us that? Well, the Holy Spirit teaches us that. Amen. If your spirit doesn't agree with what's going on about something, then that's, a, bless you, Doris, that's the Holy Spirit protecting us. How many of you know he's a great protector? How many of you know that he can make you a little sick to your stomach if you're getting involved in things you shouldn't be involved in? Yeah. There's a caution. There's a check. Before the Spirit 
we didn't have, some of us, and I can't say this for everybody, but we didn't have much of a check in our life, some of us. Whatever came down the road, that was all right with us. There was no check in our spirit because we didn't understand the spirit of God because it's a spiritual thing and we're carnal people. We were carnal people and you have to walk in the spirit to understand the things of God. So the first part is being born again. Then the spirit of God lives within you. Okay, that's number two. Number three is one glorious hope. What's our glorious hope? Christ's return. How many of you believe he's coming back? I sure believe it. I sure believe he's coming back for me. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit bears witness. How many of you have been Christians for a great amount of time? Why have you stuck at it? Why? 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 Why have we stuck at it? Because we have a witness in our spirit that he is coming back for us. And that's the reward. I didn't mean to say question your faith. I can't. You guys are all faith giants anyhow. Well, what I'm talking about is there's a reason that keeps us operating in the faith because we have a blessed hope. If our only hope was that we're going to live to be 80 and then we're going to die and they're going to put us in the grave and bring flowers once a week, that's not a good payoff. That's just not what the Lord intended. I don't think he would send his only begotten son to earth to die for our sins so that we could just talk about how good a guy Jeremy was after, you know, that's not the end result. He's coming back for a bride that is without spot and without wrinkle. And you say, well, that's not me. Well, if you if you've washed your clothes in the blood of Jesus, then that is you. Am I right? OK. That's number three. What's number four? There is one Lord. Amen. One Lord. Number five. One faith. Number six, one baptism. And then number seven is one God and Father. There's only one God, and there's only one God the Father. I've heard that in India they have over three million gods. That would wear you out. How could you possibly catch up with all them gods? I know some faiths, and I'm not picking on them, but they have certain people that you pray to for certain conditions in your life, like safety or transportation or bunions or whatever else, you know. But we are told to pray in the name of Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for our sins. I don't believe that praying to someone else, whether it's a living idol or a manufactured idol, will get us anywhere because that's why we say grace before meals. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus, because we believe that there's one Lord and one Father who's able to give us, forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Amen. All right, let's go into new territory then. Uh, the end of verse six said there's one God and one Father who is over all and in all. Okay, he's over everything in our lives. He's in everything in our lives and he's living through everything, okay? That's how we get things done. What did Paul say in Acts? In him we live and move and have our... And what did he say here? He's over all, in all, and through all. That's our God. So there's nothing that is outside his realm of knowledge. There's nothing that happens in the earth without him knowing about it. He is sovereign, 
Okay, verse 7. However, however, now the first part of that chapter talked about corporate things that he's done, to how we can respond by realizing there's one God. But then he, he makes it personal and he says, however, he has given each one of us, each one of you, a special gift. In the King James, I believe it says a special grace. Is that what it says? Grace. Okay, grace. gift, grace. Grace is a gift, right? Okay. However, he's given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Now we get into the uniqueness of the individual. One body, but unique individuals that make up that one body. Everybody in this room is unique. There's no you anywhere else. Now, I've been raised all my life to believe that there's no duplicate fingerprint for anybody. Is that the truth? Did anybody else ever? There's nobody else with your... Nobody. That's identif an identifiable thing that God has given us which speaks of our uniqueness. So although we stay under the covering of the body, of the one body of the God and Father, and we all live in that blessed hope, we've got to realize that we are unique in Him. Um, one thing that I don't uh, like is the generation that we live in which, which doesn't... Uh, speak to the uniqueness of each individual. Uh, corporate sin is rampant. Amen. Corporate sin, because they don't believe in a judgment. And humanistic approach, of course, doesn't believe in one God, one Father, one blessed hope. They don't believe in none of that. So it's an exaltation of man, which when man is exalted, then it becomes a corporate thing, which God never intended because he wanted us to know that we are unique, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Each one of us are fearfully and wonderfully made. If we weren't fearfully and wonderfully made, then we'd all come out alike. Why would that be a free for all trying to one up each other? If we all looked alike and talked alike and acted alike, wouldn't that be fun? No, no. No. Who's going to go get the chicken when we have a dinner? <laughs> See how complicated that could get real quick? We'd have to draw lots over everything, wouldn't we? But God has made you unique. I got to get down to these gifts here. But he's given everybody grace. There are some things that we get into sometimes ministry-wise that we don't have the grace to operate in those things. Sometimes the grace can wear out. Um, I had a dear friend, Jeremy knows him, and uh, he spoke that once. Uh, he said, my pastor, his grace is wearing out. He has no more. He had grace toward him, but the grace to do what he was doing was wore out. And that's when we need to realize that it's time for a different dispensation of our grace because uh, God gives everybody grace, but when we're involved in something uh, that he doesn't want us involved in, then you might have a struggle finding the grace to carry that thing through. Okay? Um, it's, it's through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scripture says, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd captive and gave gifts to his people. Anybody know where that comes from? I do. 
Psalm 68, 18. Somebody go back there. Psalm 68, 18. Well, let's go to verse 17. 68, 17. Somebody read it out of the King James. Chariots of God are 20,000 even thousands of angels, but the Lord among them as in Sinai in the holy place. Read 18. Thou hast ascended, ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. Amen. Now, if you look at what it says there, it speaks... Uh, what was being cited by Paul here was, was the Psalm of David where he said he ascended to the heights. Who did that? Who ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father? Right. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Who descended to the earth that had the power to forgive man of sin? Amen. See, this is all prophetic. And then it says uh, he led a crowd of, of captives. In other words, he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. All right. And what else did it say? He gave gifts to the people. So the only way to get in on the gifts of God is to believe. And so Paul was trying to magnify the importance there of that scripture in, in Psalm 68. He ascended, he descended, and he gave gifts to his people. Verse 9. Notice that it says he ascended. He ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our earth. Our, lowly world. Now, there's teaching, I don't know if it's Gnosticism or what it is, that he was not God, that he was just a man. But how do we view him? What is our view of him? Is he God? Yes. Is he a man? Yes. He's God-man, right? Yes. Now, there's teachings that go around and say he wasn't really God, he was just a prophet. And there's offshoots in religion and things like that. But it says, this clearly means that Christ descended to our lowly world, right? If you look at other religions, their whole deal is about somebody being caught away. Like Muhammad, what did he do? He rode the horses up to heaven or whatever. You'll see a lot of a face and things and way people believe that somebody got caught away, but our Savior came. Think about that a minute. He's not somebody that we made a saint out of because he did this miracle and went away. We worship our Lord because he came when we didn't deserve it and he died for our sins and then he ascended to heaven. Okay, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father saying, this is what I did for you. And then we pray in his name when we realize that there's one Lord and we pray through him. All, everything's in him. He's over all and he's in all and he's through all. And our requests come through the, to the throne of God via the channel of the Holy Spirit to, to uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, to the Father. So that's what makes him Savior of all. Amen? I got to get going here. Verse 10, And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens. I think the special part about that is if, you, if we get the nuance there, he's higher than the heavens. Because he created the heavens. He just wasn't in the middle of the heavens. He created it all. So he's brighter than a star. He's bigger than a star. 
because he spoke all these things into existence. So he ascended to a place that is higher than all the heavens. So whatever takes place in eons and eons down the road when we're with him, we, we will know that whatever he does is higher than the heavens. Anybody with me there? He had to ascend higher than the heavens. He came and made a bridge between heaven and earth, but his reward is his bride, and his bride is going to be higher than the heavens with him. We don't know how it's going to be, but that sounds pretty good to me. And what's it say there? So that he might fill the entire universe with himself. What's King James say there? He might fill the entire universe with himself. Okay. So that speaks to me that if we let him in our life, he'll fill it. Excuse me while I blow my nose here. Is that going on the tape? Okay. I tend to repeat myself too. So when you listen to the podcast, don't think nothing of me repeating myself. That's just who I am. When I was in the Navy and uh, uh, we had a chief petty officer and his name was uh, Chief Taylor. And we used to make fun of him. Isn't it funny the things you make fun of come back to haunt you later on? <laughs> and he would end every sentence by repeating himself. And he would say, today we're going to study electronics, electronics. And then he'd say, it's almost time for class to be over, over. And everything that he would say, he would say it twice at the end of the sentence. So we started calling him Chief Taylor Taylor, and he never got the joke. <laughs> But as I listen to myself sometimes, I know I tend to repeat myself, repeat myself. And so don't think nothing of it. It's God's payback for me making fun of Chief Taylor Taylor. I really don't mean to do it. But when my friend that did the roof here, Jim Williams, he uh, just finished working on the roof here, an old Mexico buddy. And whenever he calls me, he'll go, Lonnie, Lonnie. And I'll say, Jimmy, Jimmy, because we both kind of tend to repeat ourselves, so we call each other. Back to the scripture, you guys, there you go. Just a little tidbit. Okay, he wants to fill the entire universe with himself. Now, if he wants to fill the entire universe, that means that he's long-suffering with each unique individual. Because he wants to fill us. The more we're full of the Holy Ghost, the less we'll be full of other things. Verse 11. Now, these are the gifts God gave to the church. There's been a lot of discussion over this over the years, but we just need to stick to what the scripture says. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, right? Yeah. Not everybody's an apostle. I think maybe what might help is to study these words on your own, because some people say, well, there were no apostles because there were just these few apostles. But I don't believe that. I believe there's apostles alive in the earth today. Church planners, people that do uh, incredible things for the kingdom of God. But I don't believe it's a title that we give ourselves. Right. I don't believe that I'm Apostle Lonnie. I don't believe that. Now, have we been involved in the expansion of the kingdom? To our best ability. But be leery of people that give themselves a title. Always keep an eye on them. If they give themselves a title. Okay. 
So he gave apostles. Then he gave prophets. Not everybody's a prophet, but I believe that there's prophets alive in the earth today. We believe in the gift of prophecy. We believe that's one of the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amen. To prophesy, to speak things of the future. Now, how are we enabled to do that? One spirit. If we're not in tune to the Spirit of God, then we get into the flesh and we start prophesying things just to be noticed. One thing about prophecy that comes from God, I never think that He forces it on you. First off, you have to be in an attitude of, of obedience to God and worship to God. You've got to have your eyes on Him. I, I don't believe in uh, five-minute prophets that just kind of show up and pop up and in and out and blah, blah, blah. I believe that there's an atmosphere for a prophet to work in. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's a mandate of God and it's to be taken very seriously. Okay? There's apostles and there's prophets. In the Old Testament, if you prophesied something and it didn't come to pass, what was your title then? Ex-prophet. Ex-prophet. Dead prophet. Dead, dead prophet. Dead prophet. You were stolen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think in the modern church, we need to take that very seriously. Amen. I mean, be careful because in the Old Testament, if I said Steve's hairs are going to fall out tonight and he comes back tomorrow, you say, well, that's a silly comparison. No, when a prophet speaks something over somebody, it better happen or they're no longer a prophet. They get pulled down from that office. Okay. In the eyes of the people, they should not be trusted. Right. How many times in Scripture did, did God say, these people are not prophesying in my name. Amen. They're prophesying in someone else's name. Or for, how many of you remember Balaam? Yeah. What, was his, what was his deal? Anybody know? Was he a prophet? Who was Barak? They tried to get him to prophesy, right? And then isn't that the story where the mule started talking? Mm -hmm. The donkey started talking? Yeah. In other words, on a scale of one to ten, prophesying without being having the unction of God on you is pretty serious because God will send a mule to correct you if you ask you. Whoops. Go on. He gave some to be evangelists. What's an evangelist do? They take the gospel. They take it outside the church. Okay, that's what an, uh, an evangelist does. He preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news. And pastors. Not everyone can be a pastor. Not everyone's called to be a pastor. Um, and teachers. I love listening to good teachers. Good teachers of the Word that expound on the Word. Now, can you have double gifts? Can you have more than one gift? Yeah, sure. Okay. Amen. You can, can't you? I've seen pastors that are prophets, and I've seen prophets that are teachers. The only thing is, is you've got to watch the two offices that you know which office you're operating in when you're operating in it. Okay. Um, so these are gifts that, he, that Christ gave to. These gifts were given to the church. Now, he didn't say these gifts were given to that unique individual. He said it's given to the church. And what are these given to for? They're given for the edification of the church body, the one body, the body of Christ. Okay, let's go on. Um, their responsibility in verse 12 is to equip God's people to do his work. 
So if you're an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher, your responsibility is to stay in your lane and equip God's people. Equip God's people. Okay? That's why I believe in the fivefold ministry. How many of you know what the fivefold ministry is? Aren't we just reading about it right here? I believe in the fivefold ministry. I believe God, and that's why, let me say this delicately, the best way I can. I believe in home groups. I believe they're a great thing. But I also believe that they need to be tethered to a larger work Amen. so that the, uh, that five-fold ministry can be ex exercised, not an exercise, or it can be exhibited or God can move by the Holy Spirit to confirm the five-fold ministry. If you've got six people, it's going to be hard to find a five-fold ministry in a church. So I believe in home groups. I think there's great teaching that goes on. But be careful now that it's, it's just not all one-sided because I believe that in a body of Christ, that one body, he wants that to work together. He wants edification, not only of the apostles and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers, but they all work together to edify the people, but also edify one another. Okay? Do you have a question or a comment? Yeah, they should always be connected to a larger thing to where, and I'm not denigrating, I mean, I know churches have got 40, 50 home groups and they do a wonderful work, but they should be connected to a larger body where they can congregate with that larger body, maybe every other week or whatever, just to keep the disciplines in the right place and just to keep those that five-fold ministry flowing. Keep but, the doctrine straight. What's that? Keep the doctrine straight, yeah. Because the whole purpose of a, of a, a small group is just like a church. The responsibility of the leader of that small group is to edify the people or to bring them in. It says their responsibility is to equip God's people to do the work. Yeah. So, okay. yes? I think all, all of the ministry individuals What's that? I'm sorry. All, all the, all, all the fivefold ministries should be under a covering. The pastors, evangelists, the prophets, and the preachers, they should all be under some covering. Everybody should be under a covering somewhere. Any ministry should be under some covering. Yeah. It, it, that operates in any office. Uh, it should be a covering over him. A teacher should have the approval of the pastor, I would think. And then... Their responsibility is equipping the saints not to cut out their little piece of the pie and say, well, I'm better than this, or I do this, or I do that. It's all supposed to work together. He gave these gifts. What did it say here? He gave these gifts to the church. Amen. The gift he gave us was salvation. That's our gift. But he gave these gifts to the church. Let's go on. Um, and build up the church of Christ. Verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Yeah, now, I've been a Christian for 38 years, but that doesn't mean I'm mature yet. You get what I'm saying? There's a lot of areas of immaturity in every one of us. Age does not measure out to maturity sometimes. The biblical example is to trust the gray hairs. Yeah. 
and to, because they're supposed to be full of wisdom and impart that wisdom. You know, it speaks about it in Proverbs to honor the, the older ones and those with gray hair. Now, I know women don't like gray hair, but uh, there's nothing wrong with having gray hair, okay? Lee, yes. What, what is that? Read it, if you would. Read it loud, real loud. First Corinthians 12. Okay, and that can come out of the body itself, correct? Uh, I think you're reading verse 7, correct? Huh? Verse 7 and verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 12? Uh, no, that's, those are... Uh, yeah, yeah, I believe there's other gifts there. Okay. Um, and, and, and the early part of First Corinthians 12 is really, that's gifts. It's not people gifts, but it's gifts. It's gifts, okay. There is a... a <coughs> the difference there being that some are called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. These are gifts that were appointed for the church according to the New Living, and these are gifts that can flow out of the congregation itself. Okay, there's a slight difference there. You have apostles, and not all of them operated in these gifts. But as it says, and Lee, you're right, it says all of them together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a part. Now, this is the body, a corporate body. And it says here are some of the parts God has appointed, which is what you're bringing out. It can flow through different people, but they still are gifts that God gave to the church. You know, I, I was looking at this also um, uh, verse 12, uh, chapter 12 at the beginning, verse 4. Well, this just ties right in. Uh, verse 3, so I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus. Amen. Everybody with me there on verse 3? Yeah. And it says, no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Boy, that breaks it down real simple, doesn't it? There are different kinds, verse 4, of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit, doesn't that take us back to what we're studying now, one Spirit? The same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. There's that one thing again, the same Spirit, one Lord, who does the work in all of us. And what we're reading in Ephesians, through us, He's over all, in all, and through all. And then it says, a spiritual gift in verse 7 is given to each of us so we can help each other. To one person, the Spirit gives the ability to give advice. These are where you turn into the, uh, the sage portion of your life. Every man goes through six stages of his life in the kingdom of God, and it's a really intense study 
that you can do. It's, uh, I've studied that, and John Eldridge has some books about it, about the phases a man goes through. And when a man sometimes that is an overseer or a prophet or a teacher or a pastor, he needs to recognize those times in his life that in what position in life he's in, or he will be striving with the people and he will not be accomplishing what God's called him to do. The hardest thing to let go of is your identity. And some people in the ministry, their whole identity is the ministry. And if the ministry fails or is taken away from them, then they lose who they are. God never intended to our identity to be in, well, I'm apostle this or I'm prophet that. That is a gift of God that's given after we realize that our identity is in him to start with. Okay. Without him, there is no identity. You're just a face in the crowd but the humanists will abort you if they can because you don't mean nothing. But our identity is in Christ. So it says, um, to one person the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. In verse 9, the same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else the one Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives one person the power to perform miracles and another the ability to prophesy. He gives someone else the ability to discern whether our message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. So there's so many gifts that operate in the church oh, yeah. that God has given us. Okay? I believe in the five-fold ministry. Okay? When I was... bottom line of the whole thing is that Christ gave gifts to the church for the, the edifying of the body. Amen. And I like what we just read there in, I um, uh, lost it now, where it says, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit will give us checks into what we listen to and, and who we listen to preach and stuff like that because it says uh, he gives someone else the ability to discern whether our message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. So, yeah, when I was speaking about the phases of a man li man's life, uh, especially in the spirit, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, he takes you through how, like when you're younger, you got a cowboy, you're like, he takes him from the life of David, like I'll start at number uh, four here, three, like you're a cowboy. That's one stage of your life, the cowboy, you know, let's go get him, uh, get out of college and go rule the world. And then you got to know when that time is passed in your life and then if you please God he made David uh, a warrior. David was a warrior and I think men go through their, a time in their life where they're warriors and they, they fight and they protect things and then you go into the king stage. David was made king and kings are leaders, they're rulers but the last stage is the hardest one to enter into and so many pastors and I've prayed this for a while that I don't miss this. The last stage is the sage. The, the, the 
place of the sage or the learned one. And what happens sometimes in ministry is we don't discern when we're no longer a warrior and God wants us to be king or when we're king and God wants us to be a sage, the gray hair that dispenses wisdom. Because a lot of preachers fail when they fail to realize what stage of their life that they're in and to hold on to things that God does not intend for them. Our whole existence in the Christian world is based on a relationship with God. Amen. Everything else is secondary after that. You know, I heard a guy say once, it's God, family, ministry. God, family, ministry. I know a lot of preachers over the years that have neglected their family. Amen. I mean, it's, it's a sad thing to see. They have rebellious kids and just different things, and they've neglected their family. And uh, that is contrary to the promises that we read that your whole household will be saved. And, and I know some young people, when, when I was new in the ministry, they would uh, just say, my dad's never around. He's never here. He's always there. And they would dread phone calls, and they would dread everything about being in the ministry because they knew that it took dad away and dad couldn't go to the ball games and dad couldn't do this. Now, in a heavenly scale, ball games don't mean a lot, but to that little kid, it means the world. Because he's just not a robot that you can say, well, go to church, go to church, go to church, go to church, go to church. That's all the kid ever hears because he will build up a resentment to that. So we have to learn that balance in our lives of God first, family second, and ministry third. And we get it backwards sometimes. Let's go on. Good stuff tonight, huh? Mm -hmm. If I do say so myself. Where are we? He's a good person. No, I'm, I'm just doing what he tells me. <laughs> Ephesians 4, back there. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Measuring up to the full and complete standard of who? Of Christ. We need to be mature in the Lord. You don't pick a fruit before it's ready to be picked. I don't like green tomatoes. I like red tomatoes. If you like green tomatoes, it's okay. But I wait for them to get red because that's when they get real acidy and they taste really good. And you just go out with a salt shaker and eat them. You don't eat a raw apple. You eat it when it's ripe. Okay? How many of you know that it's hard to find good pears where we live? You go to the store, because I just got back from Mexico and the fruit down there is just amazing. I haven't found a good, a good pear in Kentucky or Ohio. You buy them and it's like eating a golf ball. They are so hard. I, does anybody know where to find good pears? Bring them home Okay, I'll try that. My, we don't have the right weather. My whole point is, is that you don't eat immature fruit. And, and a lot of people get into things in ministry, too, where they're too immature to handle them. There are certain forms of government in churches that the church has that form of government, but I don't know that they're always healthy because that form of government will put people in places that they're really not qualified to be in. So we have to be very careful about those things. Okay, let's go on. How are we doing, okay? All right. Uh, okay, we need to measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Paul was very big on warning us against uh, 
comparing ourselves one to another because then that cancels out all the gifts. Because if you compare what God's, you know, he said, don't commend yourself one to, one to another and look for each other's approval. Operate in what God gives you because it says we need to measure up to the, the standard of Christ, not the standard of what people think we should be doing. There's always going to be somebody that thinks you're a dirty, rotten scoundrel. That's just the way it is. Okay? But we need to measure. You know, you're only accountable for what Christ has revealed to you by His Holy Spirit. Amen. All right? Because right. the questions asked in Scripture, well, if somebody's never heard the gospel or blah, 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 and they get in this endless debate about who's saved and who ain't and who this and who that, I believe firmly that we are responsible for what we know and been enlightened in. Yes. Okay? That's what I'm responsible for. I shared a couple of weeks ago. Right now, even as I'm speaking, I'm responsible for the words that I'm speaking. But I'm not responsible for how you understand them. Which might seem a little metaphysical or something, but anyhow, you know, I'm not responsible for how you interpret what I'm saying. Because I'm trying, I'm responsible for what I'm saying. Go ahead, you got? Okay, thank you, thank you. Let's go on. Uh, I've been saying that. Verse 14, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. I shared Sunday, we've seen so many teachings come down the road. Anybody uh, have a count of how many different uh, teachings you've sat under that uh, it was just the, the, the flavor of the month sometime? and people trying to catch on to somebody else's ministry because it was working for them doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Because again, that goes back and cancels out your uniqueness. God did not call you. Eric and Rick are sitting right there, but he didn't call them to be the same person. He called them to be unique individuals and operate in what he called them to be. Okay? And it says we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. What's it say about Satan? How's he come disguised? That's kind of deceptive, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus said the devil's a liar. The truth's not in him. He's been a liar since the beginning. So the enemy will try to trick you into believing a lie. What's Romans chapter 1 all about? Believing a lie. Because they did not give God the place of honor in his life, then he gave them over to their own ideas of what was right. And it said they turned the truth of God into a lie. So that means that the enemy is capable of using a nugget of what God might tell us and misuse it. And we can buy into it, but it's a lie. So the Holy Spirit is our protection against that. He said the enemy will try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Um, the Bible's the truth. It doesn't change. The Word of God does not change. Uh, I've heard, I've known people over the years, myself included. How many of you know that the truth doesn't depend on the situation that you're in? Amen. 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 So many people try to say, well, 
I used to believe that, but now I don't believe that no more because this has happened, A, B, C, D, E, F, G has happened in my life. Whatever's happened in my life or your life does not change the truth of God. Amen. It doesn't. And I've known people over the years that I've said, they said, uh, well, I'm going through this thing right now. And I said, but yeah, but for years you told me this, 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 this. Well, it's just different now because I'm going, nothing's different because we're going through it. It's no different than somebody else is going through it. And the truth does not change its stance. It always stands in the same place. It, it, the truth is the truth is the truth. And when we get to saying, well, that's not really what God meant. Uh, you know, I was reading the Old Testament the other day, man. Them guys had it rough back then. You know, prophets got killed before they prophesied. I mean, think about it. Ground opened up and swallowing up a bunch of them. I didn't see, and there were any of them told him, well, God, that ain't what you meant, is it? Yep, that's what he meant. He means what he means. Verse 15, it says, instead, we will speak the truth in love. We're all guilty of not speaking the truth in love. Anybody with a temper in here, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Many of us have, uh, that's just a common thing, I think, that we need to ask forgiveness for all the time. Daily. We need to speak the truth in love. Not like, well, that, you know, well, anyhow. Yeah, everybody knows in here what we're talking about. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, his church. Now, remember what Lee was sharing, and, that, and we were reading about he gave gifts to the church. He is the head of the church. There's no man that's the head of the church. You might have a president or a presbyter or something like that, but he is the head of the church. That ties back into what we, those seven unity things that we read about, okay? Let's go on. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. This is pretty simplistic, but uh, if Harold came in next week and one of his arms was attached to his head, what would we all think? Okay, I'll use Rick then. He heard it. If Rick come in next week and one of his arms was coming out the side of his head, what would we think about that? Lower God. High level of isotopes. High level. <laughs> or too many uh, in the past. You know. What we would all say is that's completely out of order. It's not the way God made us. But that's what he means here about every part being fitly joined together. My hands are my hands and they do what hands do. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. My arms are made for a certain purpose. I don't walk on my hands, I walk on my legs. And so, you know, I don't think with, well. <laughs> Of us may have different gifts, and we should be doing our gift and not trying to do somebody else's right. gift. And when that's all done, and it all kind of fits together, and, and, you, and that brings unity. That brings unity. And it all stems from the one Lord, one baptism, one glorious hope. Because if you look at the human body, man, I've been just marveling about how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. How does this blood stay contained in us? And, you know, we're just a thin shell. And God, we are perfectly designed. Think of that for a minute. 
I mean, we have our sicknesses and our drawbacks, but just think that, I mean, how we, and, and I agree with Carolyn, it's all fits together. And if we see anything that doesn't fit, it kind of gets a second glance from us, doesn't it? You know, if we see a deformity or something like that, we're, we're not to condemn that person, but at the same time, we know that something is not in unison there. Okay? All right. We're still going. We got 10 more minutes. Yes, Jeremy. This where it says, it says, from whom the whole body's fitly joined together, compacted by that which every joint supplies. And the picture there is a growth plate. And it's the joint together that when there's the friction there, it sends signals to the growth plate that supplies nutrients to make the bones grow even bigger. Wow. So when we as members of this body are connected to each other, when we're connected for the good, we're going to rub one another every now and then. There's going to be friction. Mm -hmm. But the relationship that we have in the one body it is actually the thing that provides the nourishment to actually grow and get stronger. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and he said, the problem that we have now with our young generation is, is they we have removed pain mm. from people's lives. Wow. People, we don't want pain, whether it be in our relationships, whether it be in our body, um, whether it be in anything that we go through, we don't want to experience defeat. You know, I remember that old uh, ABC Worldwide of Sports commercial, the agony of defeat. Yeah, the agony of defeat. Yeah. Off that ski jump. You know, it's these kind of things that actually make us an actual better person. And the problem that we're doing is we're trying to remove pain yeah. from the sequence of life. And it's not having a good effect on our society. Amen. Well, that's well put there. It's, you know, that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. suffering. There's a certain amount of suffering that takes place. That's good stuff there. And friction causes growth sometimes. Yep. It takes. What's that? Yep. It's amazing that God takes that little oyster causes that friction to take place and people are diving all over the world to get them pearls and stuff like that. So um, just because there's disagreements doesn't mean there's not growth. Okay? How many of people did God speak to in the Bible and they said, wait a minute, you got the wrong guy here. You know, or Paul disagreed with uh, uh, Barnabas or Silas. Who was it? I don't even know. Yeah, Brother Mark, because he, he, he left him one time and he sent him back, John Mark or whatever. So friction is not a fatal thing. But now, there, we, we can't allow that friction to become fatal because some people will take it as a fatal, a mortal wound. They, they treat it that way when we don't react and realize that God's trying to get every piece to do its part. Okay? It's hard to fit into something. Uh, it's just hard sometimes to make it all mesh. And that's why he said here, he makes the whole body fit together 
perfectly as each part does its own special work. And when you were talking about that connection, the blood flows like this, right? What happens if you don't get blood to your extremities? They literally die, don't they? Yeah. What is frostbite? Is that a lack of blood to the extremity or what? Yeah, when it's really cold, the, the blood vessels, the, the blood shrinks back, and so basically you're not getting any blood to the end. Damage the skin, just like a third degree burn. Okay. You're, you're freezing the blood in the... You're freezing the blood, so there's no blood supply, which the life is in the blood, so if it doesn't get to an extremity, then you got real problems, don't you? Is that what leprosy is all about? Is that is leprosy a blood disease or is that just a infection? Leprosy. Okay, it's not a blood disease, right? No, it's it's a bacteria. Okay. And what was the serum? They said, unclean, unclean. Yeah. You've got to stay out of here. What was the antidote for leprosy, other than the Lord healing all the lepers? Oh, what? There's, there's antibiotics. There is now, but in there Bible are, days, yeah. there was not. Back then, in Bible days, no, but there are now. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm curious about that because when I was a kid in the 50s, polio was still around. Mm -hmm. We no longer have polio around. Okay. So now all these uh, people in the news that are anti-vaccination. They're nuts. Okay, good answer. Okay, so don't be anti-vaccination because, I mean, if you are, that's fine. Depends on the vaccination. Yeah, I mean, if they give you ugly vaccination, you don't want that or, you know. Yeah. I'm just curious about that, but each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, which is just what you talked about so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's why we believe in one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, the Father of all. And all these gifts that we talk about, sometimes in, in Pentecostal or charismatic churches, we put more focus on the gifts than we do on the giver of the gifts. Okay? And that's a dangerous area to to be in. Um, and you know, when Moses went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go and started performing miracles, the magicians could do the same miracles, remember? Yeah, the first ones. Not all of them. Because God's got a higher level. He's higher than the heavens. But remember when Moses would do something and they'd duplicate it. Remember how, why, that's why sorcery is such a sin against God. He talks about drugs and sorcery and things like that. But finally, they ran out of the gift of doing things for the wrong reason. And that just shows us, too, that, that Moses was empowered by God, and the gifts that he had were greater than the gifts that the Medians and, and the other, and the soothsayers and the witchcraft were operating in. So uh, that's why there's always darkness associated with witchcraft, because it's not light, it's darkness. And you're invoking gods that can't help you or don't exist, 
or it can possess you, and then you got real problems. So, um, okay, I think we better stop there. We're at a break-off point of verse 17. We'll pick that up, and uh, we'll make our way through. Any questions or comments? Good study, I thought. Right. Yeah. We all have that gift. I believe it. Yeah. We all have that. I think we all. I think that comes with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Right. That's what I, yeah, that's what I, I think it's a separate gift of God that we get before we even talk about a baptism right. in the Holy Spirit. And Right. There's someone here that's got such and such. Come up, the Lord wants to heal you. That kind of thing, right? Right. I believe that. I, I think there's the danger in Pentecost that I've seen over the years is uh, if you have a big enough crowd, you're going to find somebody with something that's somewhere. True. That's right. And uh, you know, uh, right now there's somebody in this room with a headache, and I'm not speaking anything, but there's somebody with a headache. Now, does that mean I'm a prophet or that I have discernment? When you're in a room, you can pretty much guess that there's somebody with a headache or, you know. And so to me, that's not, I can discern that right away. I want to see when we're talking about somebody being really discerning is to prophesy something that is, that is in somebody's life that, that you know that it's the Spirit of God and you have testimony. Specific. It's specific. It isn't like general stuff like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody's got a bad elbow. Well, you know, I mean, I think it uh, it can be, it should be specific because Jesus was always specific about things. Yeah, well, that's the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge yeah. needs to be specific. Right, right. Like when God speaks that word through somebody and, and it's got to be right on. Right, it better be. Yeah, because some people go off half cocked if they... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's good stuff there. That's stuff that nobody can know without knowing it, and that can be easily discerned. You know? Did you have a comment, Harold? Yeah. The the the, the gift of the word of knowledge is is where God shows you some physical conditions and things like that, and discerning the spirits is actually more talking about the demonic. Right. Okay, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Knowledge and discernment are, are, are a little bit different. Yeah. But the, the gift of the word of knowledge, the Lord can show you things in, the, in somebody out there that's got a condition. Not that I've been using that gift myself. Uh -huh. But I know that how it works. Right. Well, it's like the interpretation of dreams. Right. You know, it's kind of the same thing where... It's a message from the Lord. It's directly to you. Directly, and yeah. You cannot deny that the Lord's got you in that moment. Right. Jeremy? 
Yeah, I think in the, in the um, you know, the spiritual gifts of Corinthians 12, gifts of the Holy Spirit, as we call them, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 7 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit. And in verse 11, but all this work of that one and the very same Spirit divides it to every man severally as he will. Mm -hmm. As the Spirit will. Right? As the Spirit if will, If you yeah. look at verse 31 of the chapter, it says, and I tell you, covet earnestly the best gift. So, the best gift there, well, he just listed nine of them. What's the best gift? The best gift is the gift that is necessary for the time at hand. Right. Amen. Good word. So yeah. The Spirit gives Amen. the gift that is effective for that moment. Right. No man has a corner on a particular gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are not like the fivefold gift where he says he gave some right. apostles, apostles prophecies. Okay? That is a particular gift given to the church by Jesus, it says. And then you've got the Romans 12, what we call the motivational gifts. Those are more like what, how a person's wired. Right. Okay? Mm -hmm. So you've got fivefold for the edifying of the church. Yep. You've got gifts of the Holy Spirit so that it says, what did it say? That the manifestation of the Spirit may profit mm -hmm. every man. Because there are times in, in just life we need something from the Holy Ghost. Yep. All right? So like I said, the best gift to covet is the one necessary for the time and for the time and place. For the time and place. That's that's because that is the best gift. And me and you were talking about that the other day about timing. Yeah. Timing is so important in the kingdom of God. Just because you get something doesn't mean it's the right time to give it. Amen. That's true. Yeah, you got to be careful what you do there. The Holy Spirit is not a bully. He's firm, but he's not a bully. So uh, timing means a lot in the kingdom. And so always remember that when you're dealing in gifts of the Spirit and things about timing. Yes, Lee? The word of knowledge and the word of wisdom go together. You can have a word of knowledge about something going in first place, but when you do with that, that's where the word of wisdom works very often right with that word of knowledge. And that word of wisdom is where God saying, okay, this is the problem. Now, this is what you do about it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting because this is what I taught when I taught in Mexico was the, the difference between, which I should have uh, said more about it here tonight, between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge in Spanish is called comprensión, which means you, com you comprend it. You know, comprende. You under understand it. Where the word in Spanish is sabiduría which is a whole different thing than comprensión. It's, it's a gift. And so... What's wisdom, Pastor? Uh, wisdom is called com, uh, sabiduría. Well, if you take it back to the Latin root, you can see what it comes from. But comprensión is like, I understand, I get it. That's what uh, the gift of knowledge. Amen. Yeah. Amen. To operate in the gift of knowledge, I got to understand what you're operating in. Where sabiduría or wisdom is something that God can inspire you with, or you, the gift of wisdom. First, as Jeremy was saying, uh, knowledge is something that you know. You comprehend it. If you comprehend it, then you're responsible for it. But wisdom is something that is a gift of God that you can compart to other 
people. You can also compart knowledge to other people. Um, I read a saying the other day that I was just, just stuck in my mind. I can't let it go. It said, uh, uh, if something exists without my knowledge, it exists without my approval. And I've just been going around in circles with that. It's not a real spiritual thing, but if you think about it, it, it speaks to knowledge and how important that is. And when he says, if, if something, I know things by knowledge, it exists because I'm responsible and I know it. And so things that are without, uh, outside of my knowledge, we can treat them sometimes that they don't even exist, okay? And it doesn't get your approval. So always remember this in the kingdom. You're only responsible for what the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. That why you have apostles and pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists and teachers and the gifts and the gifts of help and things like that. Because once a gift is revealed to you and once a, a nugget of knowledge is revealed to you, you become responsible for that. It's like being a parent. If you don't know what your kid's doing, you know, and they knock on the door and it's like, what? You know, so you can't head that thing off. But if you do know, then, you know, you are responsible for that and you're contributing to that action.